Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, July 12th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu coming to you from L.A. this morning. And I'm Jill Wagner holding it down in New York. Uh, this is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. From coast to coast, Jill, uh, I will be here in L.A. <laughs> for a couple days. I'm here at a uh, podcasting conference hosted by Oxford Road, moderating a couple sessions uh, including on the Spotify campus, which should be pretty cool. And I'll have more on this tomorrow, but uh, we'll learn new details on a civility score that this company called Seeker is trying to put out that will help basically put numbers against all the podcasts out there uh, when it comes to, well, it's civility, right? So how civil they are, how fact-based they are, and it's a big thing for advertisers right now to try to get a sense of what's happening in the wild, wild west that is podcasting. Well, whatever you want to say about the Mo News podcast, I think we're pretty civil. <laughs> I would hope whatever range they announce, <laughs> we better be at the top of that range. All right, let's get to some news here. Uh, once in a century flooding overwhelms the state of Vermont and officials there are monitoring a dam that's nearing capacity. Another day, another Supreme Court scandal, this one involving how justices hawk their books. We've got some Trump legal updates on his multiple courtroom battles. The popular diabetes and weight loss drug Ozempic under investigation for creating suicidal thoughts. Bank of America faces a major fine for illegal activity with customer accounts, some concerning revelations, and a new study out on what HGTV home renovations are doing to us. Most some are saying it's making us all boring. Do we have HGTV to blame for that, or did we start out pretty boring? <laughs> or are we all pretty vanilla? And Mosh is on this day in history. Jill, today is the day that Disco died. We'll tell you about it. All right, let's start with this catastrophic flooding in the northeastern part of the United States, where more than 2 million people across parts of New England have faced flood alerts this week. Now, you don't necessarily think of Vermont when it comes to flooding, but in this case, it's thanks to these intense rainstorms that are swamping the area and have caused rivers to overflow, destroying thousands of homes and businesses. In Vermont, Governor Phil Scott says the capital city, Montpelier, and many other communities across the state are quite literally underwater. There's water that's still as high as waist deep in certain areas. He says the devastation and flooding is historic and catastrophic. Uh, that capital city got a record 5.28 inches of rainfall on Monday. That's more than any day on record. Some areas in New York got more than eight inches of rain within a 24-hour period. In Orange County, a 35-year-old woman died after being swept away by flood water as she tried to evacuate her home. Yeah, Jill, we were getting some really dramatic images from West Point and uh, that area of New York over the weekend. But back to Vermont here, officials say this is worse than when Hurricane Irene hit back in 2011, which dropped five inches on the state capitol, uh, nearly double that. This go around, you have to go back almost 100 years to see flooding of this level uh, Seven-day rainfall totals across much of the Northeast already at 300 to 500 percent above normal levels. They've seen more than 100 uh, swift water rescues uh, for people who were stranded. Uh, the issue here, as you mentioned, is just frankly too much rain too quickly. Vermont remains under a state of emergency. It's getting help from surrounding states. The main dam in Montpelier is inching towards the dam spillway as of Tuesday afternoon. There was just one foot of storage capacity left. Now, it is starting to come down for now after peaking on Tuesday, but it comes as numerous rivers across Vermont have been rising amid the downpours. 
again, some swelling higher than they did during the hurricane 12 years ago. Now, there's a sunny forecast today, but thunderstorms are possible tomorrow with a risk of excessive rain. And that could mean a couple more inches in Vermont, New Hampshire, eastern New York, all areas dealing with these record floods. Jill, just some heartbreaking images from these small towns across Vermont. It's an area that uh, Alex and I uh, know pretty well. We go up there to ski during the winters uh, up in Stratton. So these towns of Ludlow, Londonderry, Okemo experiencing catastrophic damage. They haven't even been able to assess it at this point. And it is a big time for Vermont. It's just a couple months. Uh, fall foliage is a big tourism time as people go up there for maple syrup, uh, apple picking, etc. And so uh, our hopes are that they're able to recover pretty quickly up there. Okay, now let's get to our sponsors this week, starting with Bowl and Branch. We often talk on this podcast about forever chemicals and just the bad stuff that's in our food and drinking water. But did you know that most bedding is made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, and toxic dyes? I did not. Uh, well, Bolin Branch is changing the standard for good. Bolin Branch makes the softest, most luxurious sheets without any toxins or harsh chemicals. They use 100% organic cotton. Uh, Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Mosh, you and I both have Bolin Branch sheets, and I could tell you, that is actually true. Um, I remember when you first said that, that they get softer the more that you wash them. And I thought, okay, yeah, right. But I can attest they really do get softer the more you wash them. They really have this luxurious feel. They're extremely soft. And with all this hot weather that we've been talking about, they are breathable. Uh, they're very good for the heat. And Moshe, as we've mentioned before, loved by millions of people, including four U.S. presidents, Bowl and Branch sheets come in 10 colors in all sizes. Um, best of all, they've got a 30-night worry-free guarantee. You've got free shipping and returns on all orders in the United States. Sleep better at night with Bowl and Branch sheets. For a limited time, you can get early access to their annual summer event. So just use the code MONEWS. You get 20% off today at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code MONEWS. All right, now to our other big sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. We're always talking about health trends, food trends here on the pod, how it's hard to get all your nutrients. Well, one way to get the important ones is using the Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. AG1 powder is easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support your digestion and your gut health. And they have a special deal right now for Mode News listeners. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving all of you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit drinkag1.com slash monews. Again, drinkag, the number one, dot com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. That's where you can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it just one time for one month. Again, drinkag, the number one, dot com slash monews. It's an opportunity to really start to take ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read from the Associated Press. Don't expect the controversy surrounding ethics on the Supreme Court to go away anytime soon. Next up, Justice Sonia Sotomayor. An Associated Press investigation found that Justice Sotomayor's staff pushed colleges and a library to purchase copies of her book when she traveled there for speaking engagements. 
Her staff has often prodded public institutions that have hosted the justice to buy her memoir or children's books, works that have earned her at least $3.7 million since she joined the court in 2009. But this goes wider than Sotomayor. The AP reporting, based on more than 100 public records requests, detailed several ethical dilemmas related to several justices' regular travel to universities. Supreme Court staffers have been deeply involved in organizing speaking engagements intended to sell books. That is conduct prohibited for members of Congress and the executive branch, which are barred under ethics rules from using government resources, including staff, for personal financial gain. Yet another issue here in Washington, Jill, where Congress has rules, the executive has rules, all lower federal courts have rules, and the Supreme Court, no rules. Justices have repeatedly accepted all expense paid trips to teach at popular locations, including Hawaii, Iceland, Italy, gigs that are light on classroom instruction with ample time carved out for justices' leisure activities. It's included the following justices, and it clearly runs the political spectrum here, Jill. You got Sotomayor, you got Kagan. You got Samuel Alito, you got Brett Kavanaugh, you got Neil Gorsuch. Uh, This is all part of the AP investigation here. After hearing a description of the story in Sotomayor's book sales here, including, by the way, Jill, she went to Michigan State University and they bought $100,000 worth of her books and passed them out to students. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, he's a top Democrat there on the Hill, who's in charge of legislation to reform ethics standards, uh, told one reporter, this is yet another sign of why the Supreme Court needs a major cleanup. Jill, it's interesting. We've brought this up going back to the Clarence Thomas scandals, the Sam Alito stuff. I mean, there's been investigations throughout the spring here. They all touched on conservatives so far. This one, bipartisan. Now, again, you know, uh, you're comparing apples and oranges here based on how much money Clarence Thomas was taking in versus what Sotomayor is doing here. Either way, the Senate's been debating ethics reform for the Supreme Court because, again, they rule themselves, they create their own rules, and they have very few of them. So it'll be interesting here to see Republican reaction now that liberal justices are involved because so far Republicans on Capitol Hill have been very dismissive of the story so far in relation to Thomas and Alito. But as we know, Sotomayor is a liberal. So how will Republicans respond to this? And will this latest story now bring enough energy to the fact that the Senate has the power to adopt a code of ethics uh, that they can mandate on the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court refuses to mandate anything on itself right now? Okay, on to some business news from CNBC. Bank of America, the nation's second largest bank, has been ordered to pay more than $100 million to customers for double charging insufficient fund fees, withholding reward bonuses, and opening accounts without customers' knowledge or permission. The bank is also on the hook for an additional $150 million in penalties for the same violations. So this all adds up to $250 million in fines for illegal activity. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, known as the CFPB, announced Tuesday that an investigation found that Bank of America harmed hundreds of thousands of customers across multiple product lines over a period of several years Through this series of illegal practices, the CFPB director said in a news release that Bank of America's double dipping on fees, opening accounts without customer consent and withholding rewards are, quote, illegal and undermine customer trust. Jill, nearly one in five Americans bank with Bank of America. As you said, it's the second largest bank. Just to put things in perspective on this fine, Bank of America has two and a half trillion dollars in assets uh, under its management. 
So one of the things the government brought up here is that Bank of America targeted potential customers by offering special cash and point rewards if they signed up for a certain credit card, which is a common signing bonus used by a lot of credit card companies. But then Bank of America illegally withheld those bonuses from tens of thousands of customers. Also, going back to 2012 here, Jill, Bank of America employees illegally applied for and enrolled consumers in credit cards without their knowledge or permission to reach sales-based incentive goals. It resulted in unjust fees and, of course, negative impacts to the customer's credit scores, who, again, had credit cards applied for them by employees. In response to one of the allegations here, Bank of America spokesperson says that the lender has voluntarily reduced overdraft fees and eliminated all non-sufficient fund fees. Uh, that happened last year. Uh, so that was one of the issues here. But again, you know, some concerning practices over the course of the last decade. This announcement is the latest sign that the practices exposed by the Wells Fargo fake account scandal, you might remember that from a few years ago, were not confined to Wells Fargo. You might remember in that case back in 2016, Wells Fargo created three and a half million fake accounts for consumers. Uh, and U.S. Bank apparently also engaged in this sort of behavior and paid a $37 million fine last year. This was a big deal, Mosh, because people's credit um, histories were messed up. Oh, absolutely. And part of this $250 million fine, uh, many of those millions are going to go back to Bank of America customers who were impacted by this. From Reuters, Ozempic is under review by European drug safety regulators after they received reports of suicidal thoughts linked to the popular diabetes and weight loss drug and another medicine in that same class. The European Medicines Agency, that's basically Europe's version of the FDA, said it's evaluating the safety risk for patients who take the drugs after learning that three people who took the medicines reported thoughts of self-harm or suicide. Suicidal behavior isn't listed as a side effect for Ozempic. And a related drug called Saxenda that is also subject to the review in the European Union. Notably, Jill, as you mentioned, it's three cases here, but Europe tends to move quick. Uh, even when they get anecdotal reports, you saw that with the COVID vaccine side effects when they would receive a handful of reports, they would shut things down or freeze things to analyze it. Here in the U.S., you don't generally see that on a, on a handful of cases. Nova Nordisk, that's the company that makes Ozempic, says that the company's studies of Ozempic and Saxenda, as well as continuing monitoring, have not shown a link to suicidal thinking or thoughts of self-harm here. Ozempic, Saxenda, and other drugs target a gut and brain hormone called GLP-1, and they have exploded in popularity after studies found that they can help people lose significant weight. Remember, they all started as diabetes drugs. They found the weight loss thing, and that has blown up in the past couple of years. Ozempic was initially approved for the diabetic treatment and now uh, for weight loss. It has a sister drug named Wegovy that is cleared for chronic weight management in people who are obese. Here in the U.S., the FDA says they're not commenting here on this situation. Uh, it has said that clinical trials for Wegovy didn't support an increased risk of suicidal thoughts or behavior. But we should note, if you take Wegovy, you might notice the drug label, the warning label. Uh, it includes a warning for suicidal behavior and ideation because of risks associated with other weight management drugs. So we'll monitor this case. This had a lot of interest uh, in the last day, given how many people are either taking Ozempic, considering Ozempic, or know people who are on Ozempic. I can't decide if we're going to look back at this period of time and think, you know, what were we doing? Or if this is just going to be kind of the norm that people take these kind of drugs to, to lose weight. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, there are already a lot of side effects that are known with Ozempic in these drugs, right? And some of them are pretty nasty. Uh, and some of the issues you face, too, have to do with the fact that once you get off of them, your weight gain starts again. So you're sort of, st once you're on it, 
you're on it. But that's always the risk, Jill. You, it was used for experimental diet treatment. Every, it's blown up now. But we don't have any long-term impact studies on this. So there are inherent risks in any drug you take, especially when you're taking an existing drug, which we know, you know has worked for diabetes purposes, but is very new when it comes to the weight loss regimen. Okay, to politics now. From NBC News, a couple of Trump legal updates. Lawyers for former President Trump asked a federal judge this week to delay a criminal trial over Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents until after next year's presidential election. The federal judge currently overseeing it has scheduled that trial to start on August 14th. In a court filing late last month, prosecutors from special counsel Jack Smith's team had requested that the trial be delayed until December 11th so that they could get ready for it. And now you've got Trump saying, forget August, forget December. How about never? (laughs) Or at least not until uh, after the November election in uh, November of 2024. In a federal court filing in Miami, attorneys for Trump and his co-defendant, personal aide Walt Nada, said that to begin a trial of this magnitude within six months of indictment is unreasonable, telling, and would result in a miscarriage of justice. The filing points out that Trump is running for president, an undertaking that, quote, requires a tremendous amount of time and energy, and that effort will continue until the election on November 5th. 2024. So as you said, Jill, the judge says, let's do this in August. And everyone's like, well, that's crazy. Giving classified records, etc. That's never happening, judge. Uh, and again, Jack Smith wants to start this in December, wants this done before the election. Trump, nope, after next November. Convenient timing because his bet is that he'll either be president again or another Republican wins, which basically means that they would run the Justice Department and kill the case. So that's the you know backstory there. And as we've covered all these cases, a typical strategy from the Trump team is delay, 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 delay uh, over time. So there is a hearing in this case on Tuesday. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Remember, this is the classified records case, 37 counts, mishandling of documents, lying, obstruction of justice over those 100 plus classified documents that were found in Mar-a-Lago. But that's not the only challenge for Trump right now. Uh, down in Georgia, a grand jury was sworn in in Atlanta. They will be considering whether criminal charges are appropriate for the former president and his Republican allies for their efforts to overturn his election loss in 2020 in Georgia. The Fulton County DA, Fannie Willis, who happens to be a Democrat, by the way, has been investigating since shortly after Trump called the Secretary of State of Georgia. This was back in early 2021. Uh, and suggested that the top elections official, this is a Republican now that he called, uh, could help him find 11,780 votes, just enough to beat Biden. Remember, that was Brad Raffensperger. He was a Republican. He was outraged by this, being like, I'm a Republican, and this is out of line. So there's been an investigation now for two and a half years. They actually sat two grand juries in Georgia yesterday. One of them will ultimately consider charges against Trump here. This comes after there was a separate special grand jury. The special grand jury issued a report earlier this year, which will now be weighed by a grand jury in Georgia. This, again, caps off the two and a half year investigation. And that includes not only that phone call, but fake electors that the Trump team was trying to install there, um, other pressure tactics they tried to use in 2020 to try to overturn the election results. Uh, And the suggestion right now, Jill, is that an indictment in Georgia could happen sometime in August. Moshe, a lot to keep track of. Uh, Shall we do a quick Trump legal status check? So beyond this Georgia case that you just mentioned, where we could see an indictment there as soon as next month, and the federal classified records indictment, which we started this segment on, 
What else do we have? All right. So we have the federal indictment, right? Classified records. You, We have the potential Georgia indictment. Then there are four others here. There's the 34-count criminal indictment in New York. That's the falsified documents, hush money, Stormy Daniels case. That goes to trial in March. So he's got a state case in New York. He's got a federal case. He's got a potential Georgia case. Then he might have another federal case because that special counsel, Jack Smith, who already indicted him on classified documents, is also uh, investigating whether any federal crimes were committed in regards to election interference in January 6th. So that's ongoing. That could be a separate federal indictment here. Then you have the New York civil investigation into the Trump Corporation. The trial there starts in October. This is not criminal, but civil. This has to do with the Trump Corporation lying to lenders and insurers uh, by fraudulently overvaluing his assets by billions of dollars. So that could lead to major ramifications for his business in New York. So that's the civil thing in New York. And then on top of that, he's got another defamation suit from E. Jean Carroll. She's the columnist uh, who's suing him again for additional defamation. She already won earlier this year with a New York jury who found him liable for sexually abusing her in a department store dressing room in the 90s. He then continued to criticize her. She's suing him for defamation again. So uh, we're talking about two actual indictments, two more potential indictments, the civil uh, investigation into his company, and then the defamation suit. And that's where we're at as of this July 12th. All right, from the Washington Post, it's a story that all interior designers are talking about this week. A new study has revealed that HGTV is making people's homes boring and bland. The study of 17 homeowners, so this wasn't a massive study, but (laughs) 17 homeowners uh, who were doing renovations revealed that more and more they were focusing on the idea that anyone could be scrutinizing or judging your decorating choices, and that's leading to people decorating their homes by what's trendy, not what they actually want. Now, this is a small sample size, but it's resonating with many people, including myself. According to uh, Annetta Grant, a professor of innovation and design at Bucknell University, when people consider how their own homes might fare under this kind of scrutiny, it can lead to an overwhelming sameness in aesthetics. Grant calls the idea that anyone could be scrutinizing or judging your decorating choices the market-reflected gaze. She says homeowners are basically seeing everything that's wrong with their home and imagining that when people come into their home that they're also criticizing and scrutinizing and judging it. And it really makes people feel quite uneasy about the decisions that they're making. And so they're always kind of fearful of getting it wrong. So they play it safe. Jill, I don't see any shiplap or barn doors behind you right now. White and gray, Mosh. I have fallen <laughs> into this trap myself. Many people uh, in the comments when we posted this on Instagram were like, you know, I feel pressure from Chip and Joanna Gaines to just, you know, make it look like whatever they're putting on TV. The study here, Jill, finds that there's shift towards standardization. Uh, and right now, neutrals are what's trendy, what you were saying, whites and grays. And the goal is to create a place that is inoffensive and could appeal to many. Homeowners are constantly bombarded with data that attributes a dollar amount to relatively minor renovation decisions. All right, so now to some of this data. There's a recent analysis of paint colors by Zillow, which found that a white kitchen, which was the standard, could now hurt the price of a home by just over $600, whereas a charcoal gray kitchen apparently increases the cost of an average home by $2,500, hence the move towards gray here. Going back to the study here, Jill, uh, most of the homeowners here express a desire to be, quote, that smart homeowner who has invested in my home and now on paper, my home is worth so much more as opposed to just going with the colors that they want and going with the design that they want because this whole idea here that's been creating value. And you know what the analysts say here is, listen, if you're planning to sell your house, then go generic. 
But if you're going to live in this house, if you're taking out the 30-year mortgage and you intend to you know, live it out for those 30 years or for as long as possible, then do what your heart desires. Don't feel this pressure from the media. Right. I was listening to an interview with one of the researchers here, and that was her exact point. She said that people used to view their homes as their homes. It was where they lived and they were going to create their family or, or whatever else, and they planned on staying there for many years. And now, especially because home values have gone up so much, people really look at it as an investment. And that's why they are going with um, those neutrals and, and whatever else they're they're showing on HGTV. Um, and Mosh, I totally fell victim to it. I've recently bought a house and anything that I have done has been <laughs> neutral. And that is not easy to maintain with two young kids. Well, after this story, I mean, I'm looking at your backdrop right now. Am I going to see like an orange or a purple, like, you know, something bright and different? Or are we going to stick with the gray there in that room? Well, Mosh, you're just going to have to wait and see. Well, we'll let our listeners know. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see when or if she changes anything. All right, now time for On This Day on this July 12th. We're going to begin in the 70s, Jill. Uh, on this day in 1979, it's the day that many say disco died. It was a baseball game between the Chicago White Sox and the Detroit Tigers at Comiskey Park. And as part of a promotion dubbed Disco Demolition Night, disco records were blown up in the middle of the uh, baseball field. Fans subsequently rushed the field. Jill, it was considered an iconic moment here in the death of disco and the fall of the genre. And disco had such a quick rise and such a quick fall. Uh, in fact, the Grammys uh, very quickly added a disco category. It would only be handed out one year, and then people turned on it, and they killed it. Uh, it's worth watching. The, there's a Bee Gees documentary over on HBO Max. We can learn more about this. And there are many dates you could possibly declare the end of disco to, but many people like to point at July 12, 79, as this iconic date. Okay, staying with the 70s here, Jill, we surveyed 100 Americans on the top five game shows in American history. Can you name one? Is this a family feud story? It is, survey says. <laughs> Number one on the board. So on this day in 1976, the game show Family Feud began airing on ABC, became hugely popular, and it has continued through multiple hosts, uh, now with Steve Harvey, into the 21st century. Um, a lot of fun. In fact, notice this week that my old colleague and friend Gail King appeared with her family on Family Feud this week. It appeared to be a very fun episode. All right, moving to the 80s now. On this day in 1984, Democratic presidential candidate Walter Mondale, you might remember him, he got blown out by Reagan in 84, but he did put forward Geraldine Ferraro as his running mate on this date in 1984, making her the first woman ever to be successfully nominated as VP. Of course, we would see Ferraro. We would then see Sarah Palin in 08. And then finally, Kamala Harris in 2020, finally on a winning ticket. And now to some pop culture history. On this day in 1991, John Singleton's Boys in the Hood, that starred Cuba Gooding Jr., Ice Cube, Lawrence Fishburne, and others. It premiered in theaters on this day. It's an iconic film, Jill, that gave rise to what's called New Black Hollywood, recognizing systemic oppression and telling black stories done by black producers and directors. All right, finally, Jill, some music history here. If you recognize that tune, on this day 20 years ago, Beyonce's Crazy in Love reached number one on the Billboard charts, featuring her then-boyfriend, Jay-Z. Was there a better summer hit than Crazy in Love? So good, Jill. And actually, as I talk about this story, uh, realize that over the weekend, saw some footage of Beyonce performing on her most recent tour with their daughter, Blue Ivy, dancing alongside her. I don't know if I feel old or that's exciting, but Beyonce's <laughs> crazy in love 20 years ago on this day. 
Okay, that is a wrap. We want to thank everybody for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Those reviews matter. So if you could take a quick moment today to leave a five-star review, of course. I mean, if you listen to the end, it's clearly five stars. <laughs> uh, and also write us a nice message over on Apple or Spotify. Greatly appreciated. Helps us continue to grow the pod. Uh, I hope everyone, Jill, is having a good uh, Amazon Prime Walmart Plus week uh, so far. You have another day today of Amazon Prime. I think two more days of Walmart Plus, uh, as you wrote in the newsletter for all those who celebrate. I hope you're enjoying Yes. <laughs> all right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.